while ago, I had a realization that my generation's cultural output is nothing but pastiche, and that truth is existentially depressing. We arrived at the party late. We arrived after everyone cool already left. We had the scenes. I drank the cheap beer at backyard punk shows with Mohawk derelicts who collected vintage Star Wars action figures. I hit up all the goth clubs spinning Bauhaus and Susie, but it was never my party. It was all performative. The studs, black lipstick, ripped shirts, they didn't belong to us. We just wore them as a costume. Ghosts of the past haunting our future. My generation never found itself. The cultural critic and philosopher Mark Fisher wrote extensively about hauntology and the idea he referred to as the slow cancellation of our future. The future is dead. All the futures are dead. The futures we expected never happened. We can no longer imagine a future in the same way previous generations imagined one, so we revert to ever-sterilized versions of futures imagined in the past. We are 24 years into the 21st century, but culturally we are trapped in the nostalgic pastiche of the 20th. Our current seems incapable of articulating the present. Everything is referential to the ghosts of the past. Our social and political commentary is trapped in the mystified history of World War II, seen and understood through the lens of superhero movies and Tarantino-esque infantilism. Endless performative stupidity. We live in a state of dyschronia, a disoriented, out-of-time sensation of vertigo. Bug World is Main Street Disneyland, a non-place, interchangeable Starbucks is disguised as nostalgia. Do you guys remember Star Wars? How cool. Slap a Spider-Man on it. Boy, oh boy, the past is now, then, and forever. For a monthly subscription, you too can have a childhood just like your father did. But this America is extra good, double good, 4K resolution good. Bug World is exhausting. Constant overstimulation, digital warfare on all the senses, spiritual annihilation, constant onslaught, constant insomnia, leaving you unable to self-reflect, unable to attain any measure of introspection, disconnected from the sacred, removed from the spiritual, all that remains is profane consumption, plastic nostalgia. We tear down the statues of our ancestors and raise in their stead plastic Funko figurines. The truth is, we failed. We were given the internet, and instead of creating groundbreaking art or revolutionary culture, we reverted into nostalgic infantilism. We turned our back on the future and retreated into a never-ending Comic-Con, cheering for children's entertainment created before our parents were born. Endless remakes, endless re-imaging. We can't imagine our own future, so we just borrow from previous generations. Blade Runner again, Dune again, The Matrix again, endless Terminators, endless aliens. We are stuck. We are haunted by futures that never happened. And honestly, this party kind of sucks. Today, I am joined by writer, substacker, friend, and fellow early millennial Alexander Helene. Alex recently wrote a piece on Substack entitled Eternal Cover Band about our cultural stagnation and childless regression to 80s and now 90s nostalgia. So I figured because this has been a topic the two of us feel strongly about, it would make a fantastic subject for today's episode. So, Alex... About that 90s nostalgia. Yeah, the uh, well, first, thanks for having me. But the amazing thing about it is that, um, you know, we were we were there and it's always hysterical to to hear people that weren't long for it as if it was some kind of golden age, like all the problems that we have now just didn't exist back then. So so that's one one of my initial thoughts um, I wanted to talk about. And then the other one is is that it's. It's even more disheartening to hear people who were there say they want to return um, 
to to the nineties as if it was the best that America ever got. And and I mean I get that because because I think in in comparison it looks and might feel like it had been some kind of age. But you know, for guys like you and me who were there, they really weren't all that great. Right. And that, you know, that's the funniest thing. Um I guess we're old enough now and man, I, I work with some people that were born in 2000, you know, 2002, which is wild to me. But realistically, now there's people that that fantasize and fetishize the 90s in the same way we might have done the late 70s and the 80s. And it, it's hilarious because, in my opinion, the 90s kind of sucked. <laughs> but, you know, that's just me. But <laughs> I can see why. I, I understand that. Looking back, it's always a golden age in the past. And in the, the present is always misery. And we're always going to hope for better in the future. But the 90s out of all the decades in the past, I just don't see it. it yeah, it's it's wild. Um, you, you make a good point about how every generation likes to think of its own time as being the worst ever. Um, and that times before they were born were always the best. You know, we all do it. Um, I, I will say as an aside, um, the, the last time I honestly, the only thing I would say was kind of a quasi golden age in some respects. I guess 2007, 2008, that was around the last time that I, I, I honestly remember myself and others honestly thinking the future would be better and that um, everything it holds will be better. But I just want to circle back to one one last thing you said about the 90s. Do, do you remember how in the 90s we saw 60s and 70s nostalgia really come back, right? You didn't see that in the 80s. You and I were there in the 80s. You didn't see that as much in the 80s. But then all of a sudden in the 90s, we kind of saw the cannibalization of the past begin. You know, instead of trying to forge something new, it was like, oh, we're going to wear bell bottom play psychedia and, um, you know, bring bring all that stuff back, which which back then was only like 25, 30 years old. Yeah. Right. Right. It's I mean, wild. It's wild. You're, you're right, because the 90s was the decade of like Forrest Gump. And I felt like almost every movie was some kind of a, a mystic referral back to 1969. Like that was the golden age of all America. Um, but not only the 60s. Yep. Do, you do you remember the late 90s when we had that horrendously disgusting like swing revival thing with the bowling shirts and the, the whole, you know, like the whole 1950s like greaser thing going on? Do you remember that going on? Smash Mouth or whatever? Yep. Oh, oh yeah, like squirrel nut zippers and um you know brian setzer orchestra who i mean brian setzer's he's a wicked talent that i actually rather like his music but no exactly and it was just a little too i don't know i don't know man it was just a little too facile too too clean too pat too like um like this isn't what it was like but this is what we think it's hard to put my finger on why it irked me but it just didn't it just didn't feel didn't feel honest and that's not fair because maybe the people doing it were honest right but it just felt off it felt off somehow right and you know i i grew up in southern california and southern california specifically long beach where i grew up had this huge like rockabilly revival scene and it had them over at the queen mary which is this big old ship you can probably look up on the internet it's an old british cruise sure. liner a sister ship to the titanic um they Every year they started having this um, like rockabilly, old fashioned, old school tattoo thing, and everybody would bring their like 
like souped up, you know, 1950s and 60s cars and all the girls were wearing those little shorts with the buttons in the front and the super slicked back hair and the, the pompadours and all that stuff. And everybody had the um, Sailor Jerry tattoos. And it, it was like the Renaissance fair, but a little bit cooler, <laughs> you know, like and I feel like ever since then, that's kind of what we've been doing. We've been doing these recreations and the, the craziest thing now and in 2024, our recreations are recreations of recreations. Because when I was in the 90s, when I was a teenager in late 90s, early 2000s, and I was into the goth scene and the goth music, that stuff was already old and lame by the time I was into it. I mean, by the time, like, I yep. got into The Cure, you know, those guys haven't been playing for years, <laughs> you know? Bauhaus was done. They're all, they're all old people by the time I was into them. But now you look online and you see all these like little scenester girls or scenester guys, and they're just copies of us, which we were ourselves copies of other better people. And it's just this ultimate like Baudrillerian simulacrum, which has no soul. It's just posturing online. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. Like the, the Betty Page look, um, you know, I, I, I remember when I, you know, like you, I was, you know, a musician in my youth and. You know, I guess we were cannibalizing ourselves because one one band I was in, you know, it was you know female fronted, kind of you know new wave pop. But anyway, we we did a show with a, a band like that rockabilly style you recommended, and you know it's it's not a it's not a bad or you know unattractive aesthetic, but it's just interesting that it's you know all the scenes seem to be retreats or tri- you know the the um the, the 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 attempt to recapture the vigor of scenes that already came and went years ago. Um, and I don't, I don't, you know, one thing I always think about is why is it so hard to try to do something new, something radical? Um, and I think that's where the, uh, the, the impetus for, for that peace of mind you referenced came up, right? Like, why are we, why are we going back to the, you know, eighties again, and now the nineties again, um, you know, why is everything so referential? And I have a couple of theories um, none of them are completely satisfying. I think it's a combination of a lot of things, but that seems to be the the vexing problem is why does everything seem stuck in 1997? Because if you ask me, we're just in like the third decade of the 90s. Right, right. And you know what? I hope to God that we don't redo the 2000s because the last thing we need okay. is, you know, uh, the real world or, or no, no, like Jersey Shore remakes or whatever the hell we had in the early 2000s. <laughs> Could live without that, yeah. So um, I do so, actually have a point, real quick. So go, no, sorry, go. Okay, so yeah. Brett, Brett Easton Ellis, you know the writer Brett Easton Ellis, writer of um, American Psycho, on his podcast and on his interviews in his book White, he talks about the death of empire, and what he refers to as empire is the cultural empire of the United States. So, for example, you know Marilyn Monroe is empire, you know. Uh, 80s rock is empire uh big big movie productions like star wars forrest gump all these their empire and then somewhere around the late 90s early 2000s the empire crumbled and now we have a bunch of you know post alexander macedonian like fiefdoms and there isn't a united community there isn't that water cooler movie night there isn't that everybody watches the same television show you know x-files at nine o'clock on fridays so because of that that's where we have this lost recreation because people are grasping for some kind of community. And the best way to find it is to 
ape something of the past. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, at all? yeah, that's that, that the whole water. That, that sounds absolutely right. And the whole, you know, you use the term water cooler. I mean, does, do people even go to offices anymore? I don't know. And, and do offices have water coolers? But, you know, Seinfeld was the big water cooler show, right? Oh, did you watch Seinfeld? If you want to get into specific 90s things, right? Everybody, everybody watched Seinfeld. Everybody watched Friends. Everybody watched X-Files. And that's what you chat about at work. Oh, did you see the latest episode? That Kramer, he's a, he's a kook. What was his latest get rich scheme? Ha, ha, ha. Who was Jerry's girlfriend, right? Like everybody was talking about the same thing, and you just you just don't have that. And you know, obviously, there's you know everybody likes to blame the internet for that, which I think is a is a part of it. But um, I like the analogy of uh, you know the you know the the triumvirate or whatever Alexander's general splitting up the fallen empire because you know how do you how do you put that how do you put that Humpty Dumpty back together, right? Right, right. Maybe what we're seeing is an attempt to do that. I don't know. You know, and and you and I talk a lot about music. And one of my favorite things about your Substack is that you focus so much on music because I love music. And I used to play in a band and I collect music. And I've started collecting records over the last couple of years just because it's, it's fun and it's like exciting right again. Um, and I'm one of those guys that I am not... You know, back in my day, music was so much better. I actually like a lot of new music. I'm a big fan of a lot of new musicians. And I think that there's some fantastic new stuff out there. But it's not in the same way that it was when we were growing up, where we all listened to the same thing. I I remember when, like, Oasis came out, and I was, like, in middle school. Everybody owned Morning Glory, you know? Everybody owned a No Doubt, um, you know, the album with uh, Tragic Kingdom, right? I mean... Everybody had those, and it was like a shared cultural experience that is completely lacking right now. And I'm not really sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not really sure that, you know, we can use it to our advantage and create, you know, good art, specifically in the literary sense. Or it's something that, you know, completely changes the landscape of entertainment as a whole. So, I mean, do you mind saying that last part again? You know, I'm not sure if, like... It's a that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know. On on one hand, I think that right being separate, you know, we have a great opportunity to be like separate and to have the ability to share our stuff, you know. Complete like anybody in the past would have loved to have our ability to share our music, our writing, our you know, our ideas. You know, we're the internet would basically make every past centuries like pamphleteer and political theorist and revolutionary musician poet you know like it would be the greatest thing for them because we can share with everybody but at the same time it often feels like we're just yelling into the void and nobody's paying attention because we're just you know a molecule in a big pond of water almost yeah and you know, right on. And it's everything's become hyper niche, right? Like you can find exactly what you're into. And maybe you're a part of a really um, devoted subculture of, you know, a couple thousand people, which, you know, great, you find a lot, you get turned on to a lot of stuff that you really that really resonates with you. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're trying to make something similar, the odds of having that um, have it's going to sound a little bit pompous, but the odds of that having any kind of cultural impact go down dramatically. And I mean, it sounds pompous, but at the end of the day, why does anybody do art, right? Obviously, you want to express yourself regardless of your chosen way, but you're also trying to affect other people, right? You're trying to share that, share the fruits of your of your soul, of your mind, of your heart, 
of your spirit with the wider world. And, I, you know, maybe if there's one thing to really be nostalgic about of the 90s was the fact that um, getting back to music, right, it's the only time I can think of where you would have, like, R.E.M., Primus, um, you know, TLC, uh, you know, Smashing Pumpkins, other other rappers I can't even think of, like, you know, Belle Biv DeVoe, like, all this um, just completely... Uh, eclectic stuff on the the top charts and like people back in the day would listen to everything like playlists were borderline schizophrenic in a good way um you know if if you know maybe that's something that um was was good about back then i don't oh, know right i mean i i used to come home from school i remember I, I, we used to like run home from school from middle school and we used to um go to my friend's house and he had mtv and we would spend just hours watching yep. mtv just hours and it was like just random stuff nothing specific and i loved it and all of us loved them we would talk about yeah. it we would have our favorite bands that just doesn't happen anymore i don't you know i don't know anybody that talks about music except us like geezers we're still excited about it there's you know it's not just me like i said it's not just music even though i think that taylor swift might be the last international superstar you know she might be the end she might be the last yeah. one you know i don't under i can't she might be it yeah i can't see how anybody else is always gonna make it and to be honest Taylor Swift comes from the before era. She's like the end of Empire because her initial yeah. career started while things were still, you know, shareable and big. But then you look at film, for example, and there's no movie stars. There is no movie stars. There's nobody new that is even near the caliber of, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt. And these guys are in their late 50s, I think. So who's going to take over for them? Yep. You know? Um, Here's a niche. Interesting, just to interject, the musicians and that were the last of the big ones, and then these actors were mentioning, when did they really come out? When did they burst out? In the 90s. 90s. Again, right. everything's frozen in time, right? Right, right. And I think that I think that's the end of the empire, and when the empire collapsed, the cultural empire, it all, you know, it all froze in that. So I understand why we constantly revert. Now, one of the things I've always mentioned on Substack and on notes and, you know, the thing I always attack people is that even in our sphere, which is writing and uh, independent publishing, we tend to have a lot of writers, you know, vocalize how they're breaking away from, you know, trad pub. We're breaking away. We're going to become independent. And then they turn around and write trad pub stuff. You know, they write just cliche <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like, come on, man. Like, you're no longer like... One of the things that people don't notice about independent publishing and, you know, specifically digital publishing is that we're no longer limited by length. I mean, if you want to put out a 10,000 billion word book, you can do it, you know? It still costs three ninety nine to download, yep. Right, and you can do all kinds of yep. things. You can be creative. You don't, you don't have to have chapters. You don't have to have paragraphs. You don't even have to have, you know, capital letters, right? It just has to be good and exciting. Yeah. You're no longer limited by editorial nonsense in new york even though we do need some editorial work in the indie scene 100 percent. but at the same oh, yeah. time it's all like, of us all of us yeah we're given these tools and these guys are like you know what i want to do i want to write conan pastiche what you know yeah well, yeah yeah it, it's tough yeah um i mean i i like i like when you see more off the wall type stuff because it's like you said that's the kind of thing that back 20 30 years ago you probably would get 
um, or now nowadays, of course, obviously too, like you, you'd get like a, just an instant rejection. Like, Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Well, why? <clears throat> well, you know, I guess back in the day it would have been cause that's too weird. Nowadays it's probably because it's too offensive, but um, you know, you're, you're, you're right. Like look, look at writers, right? I mean, look at, um, do you think Brett Easton Ellis, who you mentioned earlier, do you think he could have written and gotten American Psycho published in 2024? Like, I doubt it. There's too much violence against women, right? Even though right. the violence against women isn't the point and it's not celebrated and you're supposed to be disgusted by it, um, like, it would be a non-starter. Right? I mean, he, he, got, he, got canceled. he got canceled when that book came out. You know, he was dropped by his original publisher. So there was no way in hell that book right. would come out today, you know? And it's... You know, it's a miracle yeah. that's even still in print. Um, Fight Club would probably never come out today. There's tons of books that would never be able to be published by mainstream publishing today unless there were, you know, one of the uh, kind of like grandfathered in writers from like the 70s and 80s. I mean, Stephen King probably wouldn't yeah. be published today. You know? I, yeah, yeah. What, what, what publisher is going to publish a horror novel with an underage, like group sex scene in a sewer right well i mean that example is interesting because that probably would make it past, uh, that, but... <laughs> that, that, that's true that's true that, you know, <laughs> that would probably be a... okay. definitely tour or something <laughs> like that you know so, sorry to say that. yeah i guess you're right i take that back you know yeah, it's edgy yeah it's very edgy you know i've never like i've only been to like one dorky comic book gamer type convention once my friend drug me to it and one of the things that stuck that kind of struck out to me was that it was like in this hotel and there was a bunch of different rooms and in one room you had like the warhammer people and then in one room you had like the magic the gathering dorks and in another room you had people playing dungeons and dragons or whatever right and uh they were all isolated nerds you know they're just all all in their little creepy rooms doing their own creepy role-playing things and what struck <laughs> me well, you know what i mean i, I role-play too right uh, what struck me is that's what yeah, I do. Yep. And that's what publishing has become. You know, that's what our independent publishing has become. We're all in our little creepy rooms doing our own thing and we revert into more and more in stuff. You look at like um, some of the big sci-fi and fantasy publishers right now and they're so derivative of each other that like to even get into them, you have to read like a thousand other things to even understand what the hell they're talking about because it's become so incestual and... You know self-referential it's a constantly like hey member berries member berries member berries you know oh yeah the the the, the member berries are are the, are the worst and i mean it's just it's 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 um so th just here's an example the other day i went to uh to walmart to pick up something at the pharmacy and there was a bunch of shaving products now who shaves right post pubescent in older males and it was branded with Marvel superheroes, right? right. Um, remember Thor? <laughs> remember Captain America? None of them had a, well, I guess Thor had a beard at some point, but you, you know what I mean. Right. Iron Man, you don't even see his face. Why are you putting him on shaving cream? Like, oh, because you're try trying to get the, the member berry bucks. It, it's, uh, I don't know. I almost walked out, man. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't even imagine, like, my mom, you know, when my mom and dad were dating back in, like, the 70s or whenever, late 70s, 80s, and she'd walked into my dad's bathroom and he's got, like, a comic book action figure, 
you know, it would just it, unspeakable, <laughs> unspeakable. You know, it's like, what are you talking I'm about? <laughs> I would never be here if that was the, yeah, the, the case, right. you know? Uh, it's yeah. it just, compl- I, don't, I don't want Batman watching us. Yeah. It, it's just completely ridiculous. It's and you know, whatever. I, I don't want to be that guy. That's like, don't have fun. You know, I, play video games with my daughter and yeah, we, we no, do you know, I, I went to you know Harry Potter land and I bought a wand and I waved it at the walls and made things light up but I do it with my daughter with my kids you know I'm definitely not yes. going to have my, my yes, personal exactly. yeah, my personal grooming products are not going to have Sonic the Hedgehog on it I'm sorry because I'm a goddamn yeah. adult <laughs> you know but it, it's yeah. so you know one of the things that I want to constantly bring up is that I want the independent scene, and I hope that by having this discussion with numerous people, I want the independent scene to really be independent. I want to try new things. I want people to like go, you know what? I don't want to write the same, you know, short story Lovecraft wrote. I want to write something that Lovecraft would find fresh. I want something new, like excite me, you know, break the boundaries of the past and move forward. That's what I'm really trying to look for. Um, I don't know if we can do it though. I I don't know if we can get everybody to come out of their individual rooms and uh, play in the lobby instead of you know in their creepy Warhammer caves. But we'll see. What do you think about that? Well, I see two obstacles. Um, number one, it's the the tendency that we all have, especially when we're starting out, which is where you get very excited and, and inspired by something and motivated, and you want to make your own version of that. I want to make my own version of Lovecraft. I want to make my own version of Tolkien. I want to make my own version of Dan Simmons, right? Um, however, there's a big difference between that and then doing what, say, Dan Simmons does in his writing, which is he's certainly inspired by, by things that happened in the past, by past works going all the way back to antiquity. But he kind of takes what works in them. He takes themes and he integrates them into his own creation. It's, it's, um, you know, to go back to music, right? It's, it's what bugs me. It's what bugged me about a lot of that, like punk revival in the nineties. Um, you know, you listen to a band like the clash back in the seventies, right? They were obviously inspired by the who, but their songs don't sound like ripoffs. I remember this, this rancid song and it was like a rewrite of, I can't explain by the who right down to the backing vocals. And, And, and I get, I get like being excited and inspired, but like, you know, you shouldn't try to write your own version of something. You should find what you like about that, what it works and why it works. And this is what all artists do. Um, and, you know, use that to help you make your own thing. I, um, it, it wouldn't be a talk with me if I didn't bring up Rush, right? Their drummer was considered one of the best drummers in rock and roll ever. And he has a quote, I forgot what he's saying. He's, he said something like, um, he's like, my style is not original. I ripped off everybody. If you rip off one or two people, they call you a thief. I ripped off a hundred people, so I guess I'm a genius. Right. And that's that's the attitude, right? You you, you rip off rip off everybody you see and, and, and use use what you like about it and how it works. You know, don't write your own version of Star Wars, right? Just to use a hackneyed example. Like find find out what worked about that. And 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 you know, you can you can dress it up in ways that have nothing to do with um you know, space lasers and, you know, laser swords and whatever. Um, and then I got my, 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 my second um, point, and then I'll, I'll stop for, uh, for you to respond to that, is uh, the, the second problem is that I think a lot of movements and scenes get involved in purity spirals, right? If you're not adhering to these principles, well, you're not really one of us. 
And, you know, therefore, not only is your work suspect, but you are personally suspect. You're you're an infiltrator. You're an enemy agent. And we don't want you here. Get out, get out, get out. You know, burn the witch. And that's a huge problem as well. And it keeps everybody in their, <laughs> in their little creepy rooms. <laughs> right. Creepy rooms. Right. And, you know, and you're, you're absolutely right about that. Um, Cormac McCarthy, in a quote, he says uh, something along the lines of, you know, don't, don't quote me specifically, but he says something along the lines of books are made of books. Right. No, no, no work yeah. is independent of each other. You know, you look at his like, you know, his masterpiece, Blood Meridian, and it's clearly inspired by Moby Dick. You know, Moby Dick is in the yep. DNA of Blood Meridian. And, uh, you know, you look at uh, another one of his novels, um, uh, Sutri, and it's clearly inspired by Faulkner. So, you know, you look at this kind of stuff and you're absolutely right. You take from the past, but build towards the future. A good example, and I know you haven't watched The New True Detective season four, right? Season one. Nope, I have not. Uh, don't. Season one does a fantastic job of taking Lovecraftian, you know, mythos, um, you know, the King in Yellow stuff, all the, you know, the creepy stuff and mixing it with police uh, procedurals, noir and Southern Gothic and taking that inspiration, you know, from Ligotti and from a lot of different elements um, and making something fresh and original and something like that stands, you know, the test of time. It's been 10 years now and people still love that show. Season four, which I highly recommend you skip, is basically a bunch of member berries to the first season. It's like their writers are like, you know what worked in the first season? This stuff. So let's throw spooky spirals on stuff. And let's have spooky handmade things hanging from the walls. And let's mention, you know, as asides characters from the first one. And it completely comes off as stupid and, you know, intellectually insulting to anybody that really cares about the first season. Um, but yeah, it's like that. You know, you can't just be derivative. You have to take, absorb, and move forward. You know, and I hope that we're going to start seeing that a lot more in the future. And, you know, the, the funny part is one of the independent writers that, um, that, uh, does really good with this is is delicious tacos. I don't love his topics, and but he's definitely yeah. taken some. He's taken some Bukowski, moved it into the two thousands, and it's fresh. You know, it, it, he's out there. He's breaking the limits that you can as an independent writer because nobody would publish that dude <laughs> ever. Yeah, no, no way, no way. No, that's a good point. I mean, you can disagree, you can dislike his subject matter, but um, I I, I feel. A- I feel about him the way I feel about um, a people, a person that some people have called a pale imitation, but I rather like is bad Billy Pratt. Again, very uncomfortable subject matter, but I mean he's he's out there doing wild things, and um, you know I think it was it's kind of refreshing. You know I don't I don't write stuff like that. It's refreshing to read stuff like that and and guys that are going out on such a crazy limb like that because that's what you need. That's what any 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 type of art needs. Right. It needs edge. It needs truth. You know, and it needs yeah. kind of a reality, kind of like a, you know, like a punk rock element that is missing from you. You look at publishing in the '90s, and it's all like NPR fart sniffing. Let's be honest here. You know, like you walk yep. into you walk into Barnes and Noble, and it's all a bunch of New York girls writing about you know how they're in their first year of college and sleeping with their professor and blah 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 on their trust funds. You know. There's nothing working class. There's nothing masculine about anything in in traditional publishing. So that's what we need to write. And 
I like Delicious Tacos, and I like Bad Billy Pratt. I think we both read his book, right? Um, what I like about yeah. them, what I like about them, is that like they don't hide be- behind science fiction and fantasy. There's a lot of tendency for I think a lot of us to be afraid of literary fiction, and be- because of that, we hide our you know our masculinity, our violence behind fantasy, and um, that's great and all, but we need to take take the middle field in a way you know we need to be bukowski and uh, we need to be you know the voice of our generation instead of just looking back at you know robert howard or lovecraft or you know all those guys you know make sense it makes total sense um i think literary fiction gets a bad rap for a couple of reasons number one is because a lot of people had really bad english teachers in high school who couldn't teach the material quite frankly and maybe they weren't picking the right material but that's kind of an aside. I think second of all, a lot of people see the personalities involved with literary fiction now, and they write off the genre as completely un- unredeemable, um, pretentious, and uh, not no way relating to their life. And and what I would say is that again, you're probably just not reading the the right stuff. You know, um, I, I hardly think even if one dislikes Cormac McCarthy or Thomas Pynchon or whomever a Kurt Vonnegut you cannot deny that they are monumental talents and and I think what you could say they write literary fiction one of my favorite authors is Michael Chabon um, a man I probably have nothing in common with in real life and some of his books have things that make me roll my eyes but god damn can the man write and yeah, he wrote Cavalier and Clay right he wrote the adventures yeah, which of Cavalier is, is his best book yeah okay. yeah no that, that that's um, that's true man that that's absolutely yeah. on point yeah, I, I I think I think one one to get you know, to get back. You mentioned you know '90s literary publishing. One interesting thing about the '90s is that that's when you saw across all types of culture budgets really balloon, and you would have have um I, I you know um okay proven authors like Robert Jordan right he dominated the '90s fantasy book scene with the Wheel of Time right the guy got just boatloads of money. On the music scene, yes, it happened towards the end of the 80s into the 90s, but R.E.M., remember them? They had one of the biggest record contracts ever, right? Um, what, what happened by the end of the decade across all, all things, movies, TV, um, music, publishing, right? Even comic books, comic books, right? What they were paying the, 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 the marquee artists um, back in the 90s, right? They couldn't afford it anymore. It was unsustainable because the product um, either wasn't good or if you had one or two bombs that you, you were in the red and it was very hard to stop the bleeding. So I think, you know, that decade enter, you became into that decade risk taking. Maybe they were bad risks. Maybe they were dumb risks. But we entered that decade risk taking and we ended it incredibly risk averse into, right. to the point where what people complain about now, where everything is a copy of a copy of a copy and they take the safe route because they have to make back the marketing budget and advances are getting smaller. If only we could go back to the 90s when things were better. Well, all that started in the 90s, and we were seeing it come to fruition by the time the decade ended. Like, if you want if you want to get away from that, you need to set your time machine much farther back. Right, right. And, you know, you, know, you, you talked about the budgets ballooning, but a, a very similar thing happened to movies in the 70s. Um, you know, pre-70s, you had the whole studio system like MGM and all that stuff where they're just making repetitive cowboy movies and, you know, Ben-Hur big budget productions. And then finally in the 70s, you started having the, 
auteur uh, directors, the Kubrick and the Coppola and uh, all these fantastic, dark, kind of almost independent movies where the director took charge and, and uh, you know, his vision was put out. But by the end of, you know, by early 80s, some of these directors took huge budgets and self-indulged and bombed the whole system. So we went from being these creative, you know, taxi driver, full metal jacket, uh, you know, the shining. It went to basically big budget 90s crap, you know, like, uh, you know, the Terminators and Forrest Gump and that kind of stuff, which is like aimed for the summer blockbuster, the, the, the blockbuster office, you know, the 90s thing. So the 90s. The 90s, in a, in a way, yep. sucked, right? There's not a lot of great stuff in the 90s. You know, you have your early 90s, which really should count as the 80s, the whole grunge scene, which was full of, like, self-pity and irony. And then you had, what, that horrendous new metal scene towards the end of the 90s with the bleached hair and the spikes and the wallet chains? I mean, I used to have a wallet chain. I'm embarrassed to even, you know, bring it up, but I was in middle school, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, yeah, like, there's no point... Fair. There's no point looking back. You know, we what we have to do is we have to look forward. We have to assess what we have and really, you know, take an opportunity to try to break through the kind of the cultural stagnation. And I think the best way to do that is to just reject, you know, the swill that's fed to us. And then at the same time, try to be patrons and creators at the same time. So that's what I try to do. I, you know, this, this podcast, that's the whole point, right? I want to get writers on here, creators on here so we can talk about our stuff. And hopefully, you know, spread the wealth, share it, and introduce others to each other, and then maybe build a community again. But you know, whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a it's a great goal, you know. And we we all kind of do that, right? You throw a few bucks to a project here or there. Maybe it's not something you actually intend to read, or you plan to read, or you don't have the time to read it, or listen to it, or whatever. But you you like the person and you support what they're doing, and um, you know, a little goes a long way, right? You have to you have to band together if you're going to get anything of value done. Um, but I, I liked what you said about kind of rejecting the past. Um, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say com- completely reject, but I would say, um, and it's, we all do it to a degree to certain eras, but I just, I see people, you know, romanticizing the nineties in particular. Um, and you see a lot of these, you know, internet hyper online, like, especially trad guys, political guys, like, oh, everything was so much more wholesome back then, which just blows my mind, right? Oh, we had um, we had racial harmony in the 90s. It's like, well, Rodney King would like to talk to you. O.J. Simpson would like to talk to you. And a lot of these policies that that seem to be very de- divisive nowadays, right? They, they got their, they, where, do, where do they get their start in the 90s? On college campuses. There are a lot of famous cases where innocuous comments got misinterpreted they became huge racial issues um, and, you know, people got railroaded uh, based on basically somebody's hurt feelings about a misinterpreted comment to the point now where you have those things becoming, you know, almost nationwide policy, either official or um, de facto. Right. Um, all that started back in the 90s. That, right. that, it all comes from that. Right. I mean, uh, you should uh, if you think the 90s were great for racial harmony, you should go talk to Reginald Denny. OK. Yeah. Right. Right, you know, uh, and that happened in what in 1991. So it's not, it's not, it's just a fantasy, you know. It's a complete fantasy. You just didn't have the internet slamming you in the face with the 24/7. I think that's the big difference. I think right now, every little niche detail, good or ill, is just constantly paraded in front of you. So it feels overwhelming when in reality, it's always been the same. Yep, yep. It's um, 
it it just it never ends um and uh yeah yeah, you know, you gotta like they say, the only way out is through, right? Like you're not, you are, you're not going to turn back the clock. To use to use a nostalgic analogy, you're not, you don't have a time traveling DeLorean, right? Like give it up. Like you, you're not resurrecting it. Right. Why would you want to make a, a a bad version of something that already happened anyway? Right. It's it, it's it's done. Now I am going to change topics real fast, Alex. Um, cool. I love I love your Substack, and I want everybody listening to this to go ahead and find you. I'm going to link it on the uh, information on the podcast and I want you to Adam I love your Substack. I've read some of your books which I also really enjoyed. Uh, I know you've re- re-released your uh fantasy series or fantasy sci-fi um space series um as a uh, omnibus recently, right? And uh well, yeah. um that not not yet, not yet. I'm, I'm in the process of um fin- up a few things and then i need to get that formatted and out there but that's coming i'm excited about rereading it i actually read the first two i never got around to the third so i think i'm going to wait for the full the full set to come out um are you working nice. on any, are you working on anything else well yes and no i have um i have a, a short uh, i have a um another novel that's probably close to halfway done i actually didn't i haven't touched it for about a year and a half because i was finishing up the third Swordbringer book as I was working on that. So I would like to return to that. That's, um, that's a, uh, I guess you could call it sci-fi. It's not a hard sci-fi. It, it involves, um, I don't know how deep you want to get into it, but it's, it's kind of, it was very, speaking of being inspired, it's, it's nothing like Hyperion, but I really got inspired by reading Dan Simmons's Hyperion Cantos series. Who doesn't? So, um, I have that in the work. Yeah, no, I know it's, it's so good. Um, uh, so I have that in the works, and then I'm trying to get a couple more just short stories finished and out, and I put those on the stack just for fun. Right. You know, I'm thinking that the stack is for short stories. I think it. I think you get more traction and more value by putting them out there for free than you know wasting your time mailing them out and waiting for results so you can make five bucks. That's my opinion. Recently, yeah, I. I well, me, me, me too. Or, um, or putting them together in a collection. I mean, we, you know, you contributed to Pulp Rock, the collection I did right. a couple years ago. And uh, as much as, as much as I like the stories in there, I think everybody did great stories. I got a great cover by my uh, cover artist Manuel Guzman, who's great. Um, that's been like my my worst selling book of all of them, which really shocked me. Yeah, I, and I, you know, there's this huge feeling. I, I love short stories, but I don't read short stories for the most part, and. If I don't read them, why do I write them? Because we're supposed to write them? You know, that's kind of what I've been telling myself lately. So one of the things I've been telling myself lately because of that is that why do I limit myself to this artificial, you know, 8,000 word story format? You know, I don't need to do that. I have a Substack, and I could put out a 100,000 word story if I wanted to. I can self-publish, you know, independently publish my own stuff. I don't need to limit myself to the limitations placed by some online magazine that's going to pay me 50 bucks. You know, that's, that's kind of what I've been. Yeah. If you're lucky, if Um, if you're lucky. Right. And you wait two years for it to be published. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Short stories are, I mean, writers write them, I think, because they're a great exercise. And number two, I, 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 I'd imagine you can relate Alex is that um, some ideas just don't seem to necessitate much longer. You know, right. you can you can usually tell if you're reading something that's like a short story stretched out and padded and sometimes being pithier 
just works better as an artistic choice. But you're right. I mean, I, I don't really read short stories either unless people post them on Substack. Right. And, you know, strangely enough, well, not strangely, but um, I've actually read a few collections recently of short stories. I read um, some uh, Thomas McGuane and I read um, a lot of literary stuff um, and then some Borges, which is kind of sci-fi kind of literary. But for the most part, I just I enjoy reading them because I enjoy reading everything. But I just don't enjoy writing them, and that's kind of how I feel. So I've I've moved away from the short story and just kind of focused on longer work. Um, but I'm looking forward to you know seeing more of your work, and I'm looking forward to reading your Substacks. Every time you know I get an email from you, I'm super excited because I know it's going to be something great that I end up thinking about all day or all week, like in the case of your last one. And um, you know. I always hear people like, you know, my wife goes, hey, I read Alex's last Substack. It was pretty good, you know? So you're obviously oh, wow. reaching the right people, you know? Um, all right, man. We've I'm talked. Flattered. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, we've talked for about 45 minutes. Uh, thank you for coming on. I look forward to having you back on again because we can talk about stuff all freaking day if we wanted to. And, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. We're definitely going to communicate on Substack, probably start doing some collaborations if you want, which I would definitely like. Um, I know for this podcast, I've got a bunch of people lined up and they're all from our circle on Substack and our, you know, our different kind of like uh, our own room, creepy rooms that we have, right? Uh, but I really hope that, you know, we, we really move this like movement forward. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we, we break away from the stagnation of the 90s and the stagnation of the 2000s, the 2020s, and we move forward and, you know, create some awesome stuff in this ne in this next oh, yeah. decade. I think it's there. I think we've got it. But anyways, man, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. It would it would be, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It was a blast. Like you said, I, I could chat longer, but, uh, you know, listeners have a limit to their endurance. But thank you. I appreciate it, man. Looking forward to hearing your next few casts. Uh, you're welcome, and you're always welcome back, man. Have a good day, Alex. 